So, let us move on today uh, in the context of kind of remarkable remarks, for want of a better word, uh, in the Dáil, uh, which gave rise to a lot of talk about racism this week. And uh, claims and comments made by some of our politicians, we thought it might be timely today to talk to some people from abroad who currently call Ireland home. So with me in studio, I'm joined by Cecilia Amabo, a lawyer from Cameroon who came to Ireland in 2017, by Suad Aldara, a data scientist from Syria, currently living in Dublin, who came to Ireland in 2014, and by Timmy Ogunyemi, who's a creative director and came here from Nigeria in 2002. And you are all very welcome. Uh, I'll start with you, uh, Suad, I think because, I suppose because um, uh, Syria is so much in the news, but what I, I, I find your whole background very interesting. You were born in Saudi Arabia. Yes, I was born and raised in Saudi Arabia. I lived there for 17 years and then moved to Syria to study software engineering. I, I stayed there and I worked there after graduation till 2012, where I was forced to leave the country. Uh, due to the to the war, to the of course, war. Yeah, yeah. ongoing, still ongoing. So. And moving from Saudi Arabia, so nice quote from you. Moving from Saudi Arabia to Syria, you said, big difference. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, uh, Saudi Arabia back then uh, had uh, different uh, setting and different rules uh, for uh, women and which has now really changed all over. So which is interesting. I would be interested to see it all over again. Uh, so uh, I, I wasn't allowed to do much as a woman uh, growing up in Saudi Arabia. But uh, so moving to Syria made me see how much difference uh, life could and be. And the freedom. <laughs> and the freedom, yes, yeah, of course. So yeah. I was able to do many things. I was able to walk, to drive, to uh, which is now... All, all changed, as I said, in Saudi Arabia, like now women can drive. And yeah, do but you're things. not but, wearing uh, the scarf. No, I don't. When did you stop wearing the scarf? A um, few years ago. A few years ago in Ireland, uh, I started. Uh, I think I had the option to uh, to think freely here and without the pressure of the community, pressure of uh, yeah. the crowds. And, uh, yeah, that made me find myself yeah. here in Ireland. Um, but I... When the fighting broke out, you were determined to stay in Damascus. Many of us have dreamed of seeing Damascus, but I presumed what would be left after the war? Uh, Not much, I'm afraid, not much. Um, I think Damascus today is very different than the Damascus that I left uh, seven years ago. Yeah. Um, Maybe some buildings are there, but the people I knew left and the, uh, the roads are different, the air is different. So I think it, the the Damascus that I know is in a parallel place. Maybe it's it's not right. there anymore. So you then you got married, yes, and uh, you decided to leave for um, Egypt. Can you explain that route? You went to Egypt before you came here. Yeah. So my husband is a. Uh, is half Palestinian. And at that time, uh, he was not allowed to enter the neighboring countries, so Lebanon, Turkey, uh, Jordan, where most Syrians went uh, at the beginning. 
So some Syri- some Syrians went to Egypt and it was allowed for Palestinians to to go there at that time. Yeah. So that's why we chose Egypt and there were many tech companies and both of us worked in uh, software engineering so in tech. Yes, yeah. in tech. So yeah. uh, so that was a good option at that moment and we decided to go there and start a new life, find jobs. We were already working as freelancers at the moment. So we continued doing that in Egypt. Uh, when we moved there. Right. And then you got offered a job in Galway. So, yeah, things in Egypt did not turn out uh, the way we anticipated they would be. So then the military coup happened in Egypt. And one of its results was uh, that Syrians were not allowed anymore in Egypt. And uh, It's, it's hard, isn't it? Moving around like yes. that. Um, you were afraid your husband would be disappeared, essentially, weren't you? Uh, true, true. It was uh, tough in Syria and then in Egypt. Uh, we didn't thought that, we didn't think the situation in Egypt would be that complicated. But apparently, the country was just finished with the Arab Spring and the, with the revolution, and then the military coup happened. So they were still. It was still un- unstable to have more migrants. Uh, right. So it w- already had their own trouble. So uh, so yeah, uh, we at one day we were just considered illegals and we had to leave the country because the system changed, the rules changed against Syrians and we couldn't get visas anymore. And we started applying for job offers around around the world, but uh, we would get a job offer, but the visa wouldn't come. So all visas were shut down. So uh, we were, I, th- I remember we were very desperate at that time. We were really starting to consider going on a boat instead, but... Uh, the, the one we hear about all the time. Yes. Across the... Yeah, yeah because we were already it. illegal. We were uh, not being accepted by any country and we couldn't stay in Egypt. We were suddenly stuck in Egypt and we couldn't go out from uh, the house because there were checkpoints and they were deporting Syrians on uh, on the go at that time. So uh, it's like, what do we have to lose? We are already uh, not living this life. But luckily, a job offer came from Ireland, and instead, I jumped on a plane <laughs> instead of the boat. So uh, that was a, a happy ending. Yeah, happy start. start I yeah, would say. happy start. Yes, and um, I'll come back to you on, on what happened thereafter. Um, Celia, t- tell me a little bit about your background. Uh, thank you very much, Mariam, for having us. Uh, Pleasure. Uh, like you said, my name is uh, Cecilia Amabo. I'm actually from Southern Cameroons, and I studied law. In the, I have a BA in law and another postgrad in law. And I did a human rights and democratization year in the University College Dublin. So I came to Ireland first in 2000 and on the 3rd of March 2017 to finish my master's program at UCD. And before 2017, we had, there was an uprising in Cameroons, in southern Cameroons to be specific. So we had an outbreak of instability where lawyers and teachers actually hit the streets to complain about uh, the legal system that has been infiltrated and all that. Yeah. So, Essentially, this is nearly based on language and colonialism, that there's French Cameroon and there's English-speaking Cameroon. Yes, not, uh, it's actually not language per se, as uh, others will look at it, it's really not about language. These are two different countries that uh, got uh, colonized by two different colonial masters. So Southern Cameroon is a trust, is a British uh, trust territory yeah. under the United Nations trusteeship. Why uh, Cameroons was a trust territory under French, uh, under France. 
So they got their independence in 1960, January 1960, yeah. while we got us in 1961. So these are two different countries. It has nothing to do with language. Yeah. So the protest was about, I don't want to go into it uh, too much, you know, yeah. was about, you, you say you studied law. That is essentially the English law system. Y yes. Whereas in the school, they were trying to bring in French systems. Definitely. Yeah. So the lawyers, the English lawyers who, who practice the common law system are basically the ones that inherited it from the British system. Yeah. And the French lawyers practice what they call the civil law system, which they also inherited from their colonial masters. It's the same thing with the educational system. Right. We have the English educational background, while they have the civil, the French educational background. But the problem started when uh, French uh, educators were now sent into southern Cameroons to teach in French, thereby infiltrating the English system with French. And it's the same thing with the law legal system. Lawyers got dissatisfied that lawyers from French Cameroon were coming with a completely different legal system into oh, their own courtrooms. Right. Yeah, so this is how it So this began. is how... And your parents were very involved in this. Yes, my parents were very much involved when in their days with the SDF political party. Back in the 90s, we had this uprising in the 90s as well when there was a new political party that rose in Southern Cameroons to at least defend the people of the interests of the people of Southern Cameroon. Okay. So then my parents were, yeah. And do you have family in Cameroon now? I do have family in Cameroon. And you're still active um, in the political sense of the word? Yes, I am. As a matter of fact, I I am. Uh, we have uh, movements that are actually advocating for the restoration of the independence of Southern Cameroons, and I am the spokesperson for one of those movements called the Ambazonian Governing Council, and I'm also a human rights activist. And does that put your family in Cameroon at risk? Yes, my family in Southern Cameroons or Ambazonia, as we call it, okay, uh, it's actually. Very much at risk. My father's house was partially burnt, and my older brother is actually best ridden because he was singled out and picked, uh, beaten up by the military. And I'm struggling to see how we can get him uh, into Nigeria for some form of treatment. And my older brothers are basically they escaped from the from Ambazonia and they are hiding between the borders, Cameroon borders and. Congo. So it's uh, it's not just me. Every Southern Cameroonian has been affected in one way or the other. Okay. Yeah. Now, Timmy, tell me your background. Yeah, I mean, excuse me. I listen to the to, to these amazing people's stories here, and you know, I have a very different story. Yeah, you um, tell me yeah, yours. I came to Ireland as a as a young person. You know, so I was fifteen when I got here, about seventeen years ago, and I always think about that. In a, in a very you know special way for me because I was born in in Lagos, Nigeria, um, and I've had the opportunity to you know visit other countries around the world. But to be honest, I I became who I am in Ireland. I've lived here more than half of my life, um, but I will always have my connection, my links to Nigeria. I've got cousins, um, uncles, aunts. I've got you know um, friends who live in Nigeria and you know who um, you know make change in Nigeria, or trying to make change in Nigeria as well. So yeah. you. You know, um, arriving here um, in 2002 um, up until now is just, uh, it's it's been a really special time for me because I've, I've matured, I've become who I am. And um, I suppose without going into too much detail, um, 
and which is why we're here today. Yeah. You know, um, there's a lot of anger. Um, there's a lot of kind of um, uh, disappointment um, in 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 some of the comments that we're hearing this week because, um, if anything, when you think about people like me who've lived here since they were young. Um, we've added more than we've taken away to the, from to this system, and I think um, you know, without going too much into it at this moment in yeah. time, um, we feel that we have added so much um, to the culture, to the um, ec- e- the economy, um, and just to the overall kind of um, landscape of where Ireland is and where Ireland is going over the next you know few decades um that's you know the anger is real is is palpable um and yeah you know that's do, do you think mm. matters have got more black and white if you know what I mean mm. I mean we're talking in terms of color but yeah. you know what I mean that yeah. an acceptance the middle ground, if there could be such a thing as a middle ground, mm. has is slipping away. Yeah, I think it's. Um, I mean, I'd love to get you guys' opinion as well. But like for me and a lot of people that I know, the middle ground is eroding, right? Because we're seeing this whole kind of rise of the far right, you know, all across the world, not just in Ireland. Yeah. Um, and what that does is, you know, it kind of gets a response from the left. So you've got the progressive side of society and the far right side of society really growing in terms of size, in terms of numbers, in terms of um, veracity. And what that means is there's not really much room, you know, left to be, you know, a silent majority or or quiet about any issue because people are taking stances around these things. And you're seeing it in politics as well. You know, identity politics more than ever is coming to the fore. And, you know, whether it's, you know, um, the right or the wrong way to go, it's... um, what it really is doing is it's drawing lines around people um, and it's becoming more difficult to to be political because you have to remember that, you know, people have to, if you're in a political office, you're not representing one type of person. You're representing a lot of different types of people in the society that we live in today. So when we bring identity politics into play, what you're really saying is, I don't really care about these people. I care about these people and I want to represent them. But that's not the way the world works and that's not the way our society works. So, right. yeah, we are seeing that kind of uh, middle ground road now. Right. You, you Just to go to what you're doing yourself, you uh, work as a creative director. What's that? Uh, you tell me. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I get, I'm very lucky. I get to work with some amazing companies, amazing clients, and just to, um, you know, build out cultural um, uh, campaigns, you know, that talks to lots of different people around the country in terms of whether it's, you know, either A, selling a product or B, moving a conversation in a certain way. Right. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, well, it still sounds pretty vague, but obviously yeah. very creative <laughs> is what we can say. Um, <coughs> excuse me. You say that your father is kind of the direct opposite to what was was mentioned mm. in the doll, in that your father brings money in here. Yeah, and I think it's it's so important. Explain yeah. how. So, I mean, l- let's look at that as one example, right? So... people forget that when people come to a country, right, it doesn't mean that they've left everything behind. And whether that means um, sending money back home or actually bringing money back into the country, right? So my dad lives here half of the year or half the month, whatever you want to look at it. And he has a business or his businesses around the world or wherever, whatever he's doing. But he has a family here. He pays for his family to go to school. He pays for his family to live here. He pays for his family to eat here. So, I mean, every time he comes back into the country, every time he, you know, he, 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 he's with his family, 
he is actually bringing money into the country. Yeah. And people, I don't think, think about that. When you think about um, people who go over to Australia, for example, whether it's to go and live there, yes, they might work there, but they bring money in with them. Do you know, they bring in, you know, revenue with them. They bring in another person who is going to add something to society. Right. And so it, it is very painful, I mean, particularly as, as a Nigerian, because that's what was mentioned yes. in the doll um, earlier this week. As a Nigerian, it's it's very, very hurtful and it's very disappointing to hear this because just like every every other you know part of society, we want to work, we want to be um, valuable, we want to be seen um, as 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 a, as a as a really big part of of, of society, right? So um, when I think about my own personal situation, where I've got to do some amazing things in Ireland, um, I've got opportunities from amazing people to to work with them and and, and do cool things, um, you know, and help turn in that dial of of, of who we are as a society um, to. To then get someone say, you know, there's something fraudulent about your behavior as a whole. It's it's like a it's a it's like a knife in the back, you know. Okay. Yeah. Um, can I come back to you, Suad? When people hear you are from Syria, what's their reaction to you, or how does it, how does the conversation go? Uh, awkward <laughs> usually it uh, i could see it i can see it like in their eyes even if they don't say anything that uh, they're kind of shocked sometimes symp- sympathetic uh, um they're mostly sympathetic i would say um people want to know more want to help want to uh, make sure i'm okay uh, uh i rarely encountered like few racist uh, encounters I would say uh, but but other than that it was uh, sympathetic but you you the, the the question of being you know an economic migrant or a refugee uh, how how do those definitions work? Yeah, for I you? think they they assume right away that I'm a refugee. I'm not an economic migrant, uh, and I at some point I was I, I found myself always having to explain that I'm Syrian but not a refugee, uh, as if it's a bad thing. But yeah. then I I started thinking about it all over again. I said like I'm, I I shouldn't be I shouldn't have to say that I'm not a refugee because refugee is a good thing. Refugees bring so much value. So then I started uh, looking at the narrative. Uh, around refugees. Yes. So my master thesis was based actually about uh, trying to analyze the words that come up when we say the word refugee and yeah. we we'll read it in the news. So when you see a sentence saying refugees are, and then what what comes after that? So I yeah. wanted to uh, to analyze the news. You're involved uh, in data analytics. Yes. So that's it my has master's. got a really bad reputation since Cambridge uh, <laughs> oh, <yeah>. data <laughs> analytics and how it was involved. Uh, in the um, American elections. Mm. Uh, You, on the other hand, are working within this area now in an organisation called NOSC. Tell me what NOSC does. Uh, NOSC is uh, the Irish word for link. Link. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a migrant and refugee rights organisation. So we basically represent migrants about their rights in, in Ireland. We advocate for migrants. We we organize campaign that can actually build the capacity of migrants to integrate properly into the Irish society. We develop programs and we take part in policy formulation that actually help to 
make migrants comfortable within this. Know their rights, know what is due them, know what the government is supposed to do and what they are in turn supposed to do with the government. So we have championed a lot of projects that it's about migrant integration in the Irish society. Right. Helping What's them. the main thing? Language? Uh, language is just a part of it. It has to do with everything, with education, with uh, uh, benefits, with with their health, with uh, a place, a shelter for them, and also employment. It has to do with all these things. Right. So we try to advocate for them to be comfortable and for them to respect the laws of the land and to be able to feel that they are well accepted within the Irish society and that they are part of Ireland. They now form the very nucleus of the society. Let's come to feeling part of Ireland and citizenship. And um, you see, or we have seen, those seemingly very joyous occasions where large numbers of people are, you know, conferred with citizenship. And I've I've always found it very moving uh, in some ways. But I gather it's not a pushover. What has your experience been, Suad? Sorry, could you... On citizenship and getting an Irish passport and all that. Uh, So, uh, so I've... Okay, I'm in the process right now, actually, on applying for citizenship. And uh, for me, this would change my whole world. Explain that to me. So right now I'm on a Syrian passport. And, and right now I think there are two countries maybe that allow Syrians to enter without a visa. So every time I need to travel for work, for conferences, uh, I need a visa that would take months sometimes to to be issued and sometimes I had to delay conferences I had to cancel plans because I couldn't attend I couldn't speak at conference because I couldn't be in time there uh, to 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 attend because the visa would take a long time I also can't visit my family who are right now in Saudi Arabia because I need a visa there and right now on a Syrian passport I can't go there uh, I have a two years old like they haven't seen him yet they can't travel because my dad is sick, so I, the only option is for me to go there, and I can't. So uh, an Irish passport would totally change my life. Yeah, and say for you now that was born in Saudi Arabia, um, how come you can't get a visa to go in there? Um, they uh, like the the system how it works in Saudi Arabia. They don't give any rights for anyone who was born there because you only get the citizenship uh, through uh, like through through blood. Uh, so. If you're born there, you don't get any rights, basically. And making having a Syrian passport makes it more complicated to visit. So right now they just opened the tourist visa, which yeah. changed many things. Okay. But now, when you were applying for the Irish one, uh, how difficult or complicated is that? Your husband has also applied. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, so we applied earlier this year. Yeah. Uh, but. Uh, since the um, the delays that happened recently, I don't know if uh, you were uh, aware of that. The, uh, the that six weeks rules that changed the whole system. Yeah, just so to remind our uh, listeners, there was yeah. a court case, and it was found if you were looking for citizenship, if you had not had twelve months continuous residency, for want of a better word, here in Ireland. In other words, if you went up to Belfast or you went over to London or wherever. Uh, even for a day for work, 
that broke your residency and you couldn't get citizenship. Now, that was overturned in the last uh, 24 hours by the Supreme Court. Yes, finally. So the system is now back on track and they're starting to to continue processing the applications. So hopefully uh, we'll we'll hear something. But uh, And how does it work? It works in stages. Yes. So the first stage, uh, they check uh, your uh, time in the country. If you are, you have, you have five years and the last year is you haven't traveled more than six weeks. I think now after this uh, new rule. Yeah. Uh, and then the second stage is they check if you're a good character. And then the third stage, uh, it's just the Minister of Justice uh, yeah. who have to approve And do that. they communicate backwards and forwards with you during that process? Uh, yes, they they send an email, uh, a post uh, saying that uh, you've moved to the second stage. and Or if they need more paper, they would also send asking for more papers. Right. Yeah. Um, and what's your experience been, Cecilia? Well, the citizenship process in itself has been a very complicated process for a lot of people. I'm actually thrilled to know that she's been going through it so easily and I'm happy for her. I really hope she gets it as soon as possible. But uh, working with uh, a new communities partnership that they actually have a program that centers on uh, uh, Irish uh, citizen application. This is a very serious uh, or tedious process because those we have different dates that you can apply for. You can go for the five years or you can go for the three years. Three years will always come through marriage and the five years will be on your long stay in the country. And within these five years, you have to provide three proof of residence within the country for five years. And you have to, any document that is not Irish, you have to translate it, certified by a, uh, an attorney. And you have to, the process that we are just talking about, about the six weeks process before, uh, like we are happy that it's been overturned. And so they also have an application fee that will also help them to push through with this. A lot of people get rejected for for various reasons, because if you have any offence that is in the system that also puts you on a very negative side. How about when you say an offence, what do you mean well, by Well, like if you have uh, people drinking and driving, but if that has already been taken out of the system, maybe you're fine. But if you still have that within the system, of course they will say you're not qualified or we don't think that your character is good enough to grant you the Irish citizenship. Um, which is, of course, reasonable. We would not be encouraging people to drink and drive. Oh. And... We also have families that women that have been within with their husbands and suddenly they separate and it becomes a challenge for them to compile their documents for citizenship because they need the approval of their husbands in some documents to be signed and all that. So it gets a little bit complicated. But once you successfully compile your documents and sign with your original documents, uh, at times people don't get the original passport. They have to send them to go to embassies that they don't have here in the country they have to travel to the UK but you know, if and you all think, that if you think of refugees coming as you said that you actually contemplated taking one of those uh, boats to get to Europe like I don't know how you'd have papers at that stage I mean we've seen people be fished out of the sea yeah yes 
people uh, usually lose their papers on. Yes. Yeah. So how journey. do you get all your documentation together then? Well, definitely you won't have people like that will not have any documentation. We have a lot of people who have entered this country without proper without documentation yeah. because they just had to jump in the flight or in the boat or anything just to get to safety. So these people will not have any form of the identification. But when they are within the country, what the government is expecting from them is that wherever they're living, they should be able to pay bills like water bills, electricity. Yeah. Those are the bills that they're asking for. And yeah. they need their bank statements like within the last six Both months of, of every yeah. every year. So, like, from June to December of every year, just to see your transactions, what mm -hmm. you do, where you go, what you buy, you spend your money on. Okay. So, all those things are taken into okay. consideration. Uh, Timmy, how does this, it, these rules impact on your life? Well, I mean, wh which rules particularly? Well, the whole thing about mm. citizenship, passports... The whole question of that. Mm. I mean, you said you were born in Lagos, but Dublin made you. Yeah. Uh, and your family interacting with the Irish authorities. How mm. did all that work out? Well, I suppose for me, so I've been a citizen now for six years. So since 2013, um, yeah. genuinely one of the proudest days of my life. Um, and, you know, hopefully you guys will one day get to feel that because it's 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 it feels like like a big milestone um because like being irish or feeling being being irish is one of the best things you can be in the world which is really strange um but also really amazing but i think for me because i was quite young it's difficult for me to kind of put into the same kind of context as you guys because that would have been my family looking after a lot of those kinds of things for me. Yes. Um, obviously, it does impact things like travel, you know. So for me, when you're thinking, why can't I go on this holiday or why can't I go on that holiday, you know, and then, you know, not really understanding, oh, it's because, you know, you, you if you decide you want to go away, well, then you can't be Irish next. You know, you can't apply to, for, for our citizenship. So for me, it was a, it was a different kind of conversation. Um but, you know, I'm in a place now where I'm able to look back and I'm able to, like, you know, talk to people today about, you know, how can I help you? What can I do? What can, you know, how can I direct you in the right um, or put you in the right direction? That's why meeting people like Cecilia today has been great because, you know, we had a chat outside about, you know, what do you do? And like we talked about integration, which is such an important thing. Yeah. I think it's so overlooked. Um, people talk about, oh, it's a really diverse place, but diversity is great. But integration and inclusion is actually more important. And, you know, so that's for me is is the, the bit that I try to focus well, on. Well, funnily enough, that's why I brought up the question of language. Yeah. Because, you know, language and accent and all of those things are really, really important. Uh, and yet if you mention them, it can be seen as negative. But you make the point that, say, we have doctors here yeah. from Pakistan, from India, from all over the world... Most important thing, apart from their qualifications, is to be able to communicate. Definitely, which is uh, one of the things that we do at NAS as well. We promote like early uh, English learning for migrant women and children, and we have schools in Cork that provide English uh, welcome English. They give these basic lessons for people to for English uh, students for for migrants to learn English, and we have. Community groups that voluntarily 
provide service for migrants within really? the direct provision centers and all that. But so they're all see. going to just come into Ireland and have Cork accents, essentially. <laughs> well, um, um, they that might is need what translation they want to make. in Dublin. Yes, but, yeah. they will want them to be that way, but they can't really not be that way. They just have to be who they are. They just need to communicate and be understood. Mm. So that is what we encourage. Don't make them be Irish in that way, but just allow them to communicate with you and you understand yeah. each other. In your yeah, is your husband learning Irish at the moment? Uh, he took an Irish course actually, and uh, he he is amazing with that. He keeps testing me when we are walking, like, "Can you read the sign?" And I have no idea how to read it, to be honest. And he's already teaching my two years old, like our two years old kid. He's he can count now the numbers in Irish, so it's uh, that's terrific. And again. how about when the baby was born? Um, well. We'd have to interview the baby in about 17 <laughs> years' time. But that's an old kind of embracing Irish citizen. Yes. So uh, he luckily got to uh, to have an Irish passport when he was born because after the rule is here is after three years of working and paying taxes, the kids can get an Irish passport. Yeah. So that was a relief for us because we couldn't imagine him uh, having a Syrian passport. He even actually can't have a Syrian passport because... Uh, the Syrian mother cannot give her kids the citizenship. And because my husband is Palestinian, he has a travel document as a Syrian travel document because he was born in Syria. It's complicated. So he will have a, a travel document for Palestinians right. if he didn't get the Irish passport, which is even much worse than the Syrian passport. So we were very lucky that he, he got the Irish passport. Yeah. And he actually, now he's the link for us with Ireland. It is home. He's Irish. And yeah. it's and we'll start already, school. Yes. And then you'll be meeting other parents at exactly. school and all of that. Um in terms of of color and foreignness and all of that, have you ever experienced um, racism, Timmy? Yeah, I mean, it's it's such a it's it's such a difficult thing, right? Because I've I've spoken previously about racism um, in general, and I think it's it's such a horrendous thing. If if I can start from from this point of I've never understood the idea that you have to attack somebody based on what they look like, right? And I've always been about definitely ideas are fair play. You know, they're fair game. Absolutely. You should always be able to attack ideas. And if the ideas are good enough, then they'll stand to their own merit. But people aren't fair game, right? Unless they have crossed a certain line. And when in my in my past, I've I've received, you know, lots and lots of racism and you know I, I i can't quantify it because i you know i don't count the, the number of moments but it's it's always been one of the the most kind of harrowing things because as a human being someone hating you for who you are and can't change you know there's many things we have control over that we can change our education sta- status our you know our citizenship status for example we've been talking about already but you can't change what you look like, and you shouldn't have to. Um, so that's something that I've 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 dealt with in the past, from from very bad to to very kind of low level, as in microaggressions. But I mean, I've come to I'm 32 now, and I've kind of learned to, how to deal with it, not to cope, but to deal with it in any given situation. So there was a, an incident with your child. Yeah, I mean, um, I have a three and a half year old now, and you know, he's you know, beautiful mix of everything, you know. 
Um, my partner's she's three quarters Irish, quarter um, Trinidadian. Um, so he's just this beautiful mix, and you, he's so many friends, you know, who are mixes of everything. And to see somebody go out of their way to attack a three and a half year old while he's in my arms, you know, in verbally speaking, it's and just that's happened. yeah, you know. Recently. So this was this was very recently. This was about two weeks ago. So you know, um, without giving away where and when, um, it was a middle aged man. Yeah, man. on a bicycle. On a bicycle as well. Swerved out of his way to to come over to where we were to explicitly shout words that I'm not allowed to say on the radio. Yeah, um, but they begin with F. Yeah, basically. Yeah. And, you know, so, I mean, the, the good thing is he... And to go back to where you came from. It's, yeah, you know, so it, it's it, it's it's difficult even remembering it now. But, you know, I spoke about it and I think without dwelling on that, that fact, I think the most important thing is when that happened... Um, no one said it, spoke up. And I'm not talking about confrontation. I'm talking about making me and my child feel we're not alone. Um, because there's nothing worse than feeling that the people around you... Might share that. You know, are either accomplices or, you know, you, you, you want to feel like you have an ally, you know, and that people don't... So even if someone says, you know, said to you, or to me rather, um, are you okay? You know, we're not all like that. And to, to be honest, I know most Irish people are not like that. I know that for an absolute fact. But just that little bit. But in bit. that moment, you feel so alone. And I think if there's one thing that I, I could give away today, it would be if anyone ever sees someone being racially attacked, um, if, you're not, if you're not up for a confrontation, definitely be up for consolation. You know, because that is probably more important yeah. to the person. Just to say... Are you okay? Oh, perfect, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. Okay. Uh, now, let me just uh, go through some of our texts that have come in. Marion, I've holidayed several times in Syria. The last time was October 2010 with my wife. A beautiful country. People very friendly. Incidentally, Damascus was safer than Dublin, he says. And I remember the first time seeing his sign in Jerusalem with the direction of Damascus thought I have to get on the road to mm. Damascus but I don't suppose you'd be, we'd have any chance of doing that now because Aleppo has been kind of wiped out hasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Okay another one Marian racism is always wrong it has no middle ground you're right that comes from Antoinette in Donegal. Mary from Wexford says delighted to hear your three articulate and eloquent guests who have made Ireland their home. I lived in Saudi Arabia for 25 years and I extend a warm welcome to all those who choose to live here. Uh, another money-making scam of Irish state. It costs thousands now to get Irish citizenship and a passport. They charge big money even to file application. And if there's one mistake in it, they keep the money, reject you, and you pay again. Yep. Is that true? That's yep. correct. Yep. That's, That's correct. correct. <laughs> First of all, you pay a hundred and seventy-five fee for deposit, and if at all you are accepted or there is any mistake in that application, you'll be sent back your original documents, and then they will just send a letter to you telling you that they had a problem with this entering your residency, and you you can reapply, but they didn't send back yeah. your money, so you have to wait and reapply, and any other mistake is it keeps going like that. And on do you and have on. to pay to reapply? Yeah, you have to pay. The seven hundred and uh, one hundred and seventy-five fee, you have to pay. Again? And, yes. Okay. 
And if and at all you succeed, you, you have to pay a nine hundred, a whopping nine hundred and fifty euro. That's a lot. And yes. Actually, I'll just add into that. I mean, in terms of um, money flowing out of the country, I yeah. mean, this is just an example. The the figures that were quoted um, in the doll said that, you know, there's 3.54 billion or 3.4 yeah. billion going out to Nigeria, which is 30,000 euros per person. I mean, when you've got fees like that, when you're trying to think about citizenship, the last thing in your mind is, you know, you, people, sorry, most people aren't making that much money in the first place. Yeah. To be able to send that money away, it... it mm boggles the mind, you know, makes no sense whatsoever. Well, I think it was as the Taoiseach pointed out, and mm. not to say many others, yeah. so many Irish people went abroad to mm. send money Definitely. home, yeah. educate and them. To yes. be honest, I, you know, when things like this come up, you try to look, do a little bit of research to know exactly why and how these things can even be understood. And when I saw some research made and saw the figures that Irish immigrants themselves who were abroad sent back home oh, yeah. to their families, I I questioned myself if uh, uh, Grealish actually did a research to know all these things before uttering what he said or he deliberately just decided to spy some people off and create that conflict and say, yeah. Do, yeah. Do, do any of you send money out of the country your your yes. husband my husband sent to his mother in syria she yeah. she has she yeah he's her only way of support and uh yeah, yeah he sent her back my con my country is completely destroyed as of now the economy is completely destroyed yeah, i'm talking syria. about a place where more than 5.5 million people are affected by the war and more than 550,000 people are, are internally displaced. And we have refugees that are about 300,000 in Nigeria and elsewhere. So your family basically depends on you to help them survive right. because the economy is completely dead. Okay. Um, now the caller says, I do not understand what Suad means. Why can't she get citizenship of Saudi Arabia where she was born? Gosh, I wish it's, it's that easy. Yes, uh, they, it's just not in the system. They don't give uh, citizenship. In, in most of the Middle East countries, they don't give any rights to someone who was born in their country. It's not like here or in the US, for example, where you get citizenship by birth. You don't get any rights, basically, uh, by birth. So if you're born in Saudi Arabia to, say, Irish parents, well, we won't say Irish parents because that's too close to home in a way, but if you're born... Any in... nationality. Hmm? Any nationality. Any nationality. Yeah, they wouldn't get it, yes. No. No, they only, like, the citizenship of... The Saudi citizenship only goes through, like, uh, if you were born to Saudi parents. Okay. Basically. okay. Even Saudi mothers can't give their citizenship to their Can children they? as well. Okay. Yes, only the father, yes. It's in most Middle Eastern country, yeah. That, <laughs> I know. I that know. has to change at <laughs> some know. stage. Anyway, Marion, I'd like to wish your guests all the best with their future here. The country or town without idiots has yet to be discovered. When it is, we can all move there together. <laughs> so that's on that happy note. Uh, we will leave it there. And thank you all three uh, for coming in. Uh, Cecilia, one of you, it was it you, Cecilia, had never heard of Ireland but you had read Cecilia Hearn's book. Me. Oh, that was you. Actually, yes. <laughs> you had. <laughs> I only knew Ireland through Cecilia Hearn's books. Yes. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> well, I knew Ireland 
of course, existed as a country in the European, but I didn't know the culture. I didn't know much about it. Right. But through the books that there I read. There you go. Well, listen, um, Timmy, Seward and Cecilia, thank you all very, very much indeed. And we'll take a break. Podcast The Marion Finucane Show at rte.ie slash radio. Mm-hmm.